The Complex is sponsored by James Ochoa's book, Focused Forward, Navigating the Storms of Adult ADHD, and his training, Professional Trailblazing, A New Roadmap for Treating Adults with ADHD. You can find these, as well as James's virtual brainstorming Q&A meetups for adults with ADHD, ADHD Town Hall, on his website, jamesochoa.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Episode 3's Afterthoughts. Like always, I have James across the way from me. Um, oh, yeah. Here we go. Yeah, and this one is a doozy. We have a <laughs> lot of things. They're all doozies, right? Uh, they really are. Um, we're going to try and keep this as condensed as we can because uh, there is definitely a lot of tangents we could go off here on. Um, <laughs> oh, yes. The main three that I kind of want to talk about here is medication, how that relates to ADHD, how we see it in CRISPY. Um, I also want to talk about relationships, you know, getting into relationships, very small holding relationships, all that good stuff. Um, and then also the idea of how ADHD and medication for ADHD changes over a lifetime, right? So let's go ahead and start with, uh, let's just pick one relationships. Um, I want to play a clip really Let's just quick. Pick the smallest one first, <laughs> shall we? I want to. I want to play a clip really quick from the episode of Crispy talking about uh, getting into his relationship. So let's hear that really quick. Slide four. As this logarithmic chart shows, the proportion of my thoughts per minute about Richard Yang um, uh, increased by a big uh, factor. Uh, Factor of 16 times, yeah. Um, the blue line indicates uh, cumulative text between myself and Richard Yang increased by a factor of four times. Son, I yeah. don't mean to interrupt, but is Chris Crawford in love? Affirmative. Hmm? I don't Wow, it's so cool. You found someone at an event for something you're passionate about. Just one issue. There is no template for merging interpersonal procedures between two um, people, uh, at least not for Chris Crawford. Ah, I see. Chris Crawford does not know how to be in love. And maybe his ADHD is showing up to complicate the matter. Okay, so we hear Crispy here being very nervous, being very uncertain of what to do, um how to regulate his relationship, essentially. There, there's right. not a sticky note for this one. Um, no. And so, you know, let's talk a little bit about how people with ADHD can find balance and, and clarity in a relationship, um, especially with someone who doesn't have ADHD. Yes, it's, uh, boy... Like I said, let's just go ahead and pick the, uh, <laughs> the the biggest Pandora, one of the biggest Pandora boxes on ADHD spectrums, which is relationships. Not only relationships with yourself, with other people, with family, with friends, with colleagues. I mean, you can name it. The relationship spectrum uh, is a very challenging issue because yeah. of the disruptiveness or the unevenness or uh, all the challenges that come with ADHD. They, they come within, you know, they affect relationships around you. And, sure. 
let's go ahead and narrow the scope then. And instead of talking about everything in relationships, we could do colleagues, we could do friends, family, right. all that kind of stuff. Let's talk about significant others, r- romantic relationships. Okay. How yeah. someone you're spending your life with, or just you know a lot of right. romantic, right. intimate time with. And that challenge uh, on the ADHD spectrum has a lot to do initially with quote unquote full disclosure. The idea of what ADHD is and mm. not walking away from it and knowing what the disruptiveness could be and strategically how you're working to manage it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in this case with Crispy, first of all, you get this enamored kind of uh, a shyness or something like because he's in a relationship and he yeah. feels attracted you know, to his boyfriend and yeah. uh, happens to be this, someone who is really interesting and passionate with him. So yeah. many times in a relationship, right, you get that passionate kind of intensity that can really uh, amp up a relationship. It can also hide some ADHD related issues sure. because uh, you're hyper focused on the other person. Uh, but in romantic relationships, the key is communication again. Mm-hmm. You've got to go back to this consistency of communication and boy, one of the things I really teach so many of my clients about relationships is you don't want to go back and open Pandora's box, so to speak, or open up a dialogue and communication and relationship of saying, how are we doing in our relationship? You don't want to do that? Oh, people with ADHD don't want to do that because oh. they're, they're afraid they're going to open Pandora's sure, box. Sure. It's like, oh my God, <laughs> this is going to come at me. Yeah. But the reality is it's really critical to do because it's about the health of the relationship to consistently mm-hmm. go back and say, okay, where are we now and how are we? And, yeah. you know, how are your needs getting met? How are my needs getting met? And so, you know, I talk to couples all the time about what I call couples business meetings or couples Mm. meetings where you consistently sit down on an ongoing basis and not only look at the things in your life that need to be organized and managed and developed, but also the things about how are we, okay, Mm -hmm. Um, where you you can do it over a cup of coffee many times. Where it's a really genuine conversation of, of, it's not just like, oh, I'm good. Right. <laughs> right, right, yeah, right. It's a it's a genuine conversation about how you're doing, how you're handling stress, how are things in the relationship with communication and mm-hmm. kind of being there for each other. And the challenge with that on the ADHD spectrum is because of the disruptiveness about ADHD, many times doesn't go away, or the uneven kind of balance of it, it throws relationships into a tailspin or into a challenge space, and so you may hear from your partner a lot of times what feels like complaining or feels like Mm. uh, processing stress and allowing your partner to process stress and how things have come across to them or things were difficult for them, but not fixing it. Yeah. Okay. But listening with compassion and empathy and then looking strategically about, okay, how can I change my ability to listen, uh, to really uh, be present for my partner uh, and the different things that might be a challenge, but to remember that a partner uh, processing out that stress doesn't mean the relationship is bad or something's right, wrong right. with it. It's just leaving or that you sh- need to change your entire life because of you know X, right. Y, and Z thing they complained about. Exactly. Yeah. So you don't have to go to these extremes again. That we've right. Seen. That kind of pulls it back to episode two's after right. afterthoughts where we were talking about exactly you know going to one exactly. extreme or the other. Um, but again, it's yeah. the consistency of this kind of connection with each other 
that is going to be helpful over time because you also want to talk about, uh, I talk about as appreciation and gratitudes in a relationship. Mm-hmm. I've had couples create gratitude or appreciation journals. Yeah. The journals are only for that and no other, you forgot this, you got to do this, right. you got to do that. No, it's just what I appreciate or I'm grateful for. So, you know, what I tell couples a lot of times is the appreciation and gratitude, you want to use that really often. You know, because you want to appreciate some of the smallest things in your relationship. Because, you know, as I've told many couples, I've never seen someone coming into a relationship and say, oh, I've been appreciated too much. Or, gosh, there's so much gratitude coming at me. Please stop. Please stop. It's just, right. It doesn't work. So I tell couples that's actually one of the best ways to insulate your relationship with mm. resiliency and resource and love and care is to really appreciate and be grateful for the small things, for the picking yeah. up the socks around the house, for loading the dishwasher. And, you know, I work on in, in my relationship doing those things mindfully, mm-hmm. you know, using them as micro meditations, interestingly enough, so that I unload the dishwasher slowly or with a favorite uh, song on that I'm playing. Yeah. But I really work at noticing my partner in a relationship for appreciation and gratitude. I think it's one of the most effective ways. But again, it comes with communication. All that is parts of it. Right, right. Well, one thing we see in this episode as a major disruption is that Richard Yang, his boyfriend, essentially tells Crispy that essential oils are defunct, that right, that they don't do anything, right. even though this has like been his life for the last few years right. of like taking essential oils, selling them to others, toting this whole thing of like how they can help you so much. Um, in that disruption right. of your significant other, someone you care about very deeply saying, you're wrong. <laughs> or what you're doing uh, is not effective, yeah. or it's not what you thought it was. Right. Okay. Uh, how do so, you man, send appreciation a, to your partner for doing that? Right. Well, okay. It certainly yeah. comes in context and a lot of times comes out of a lot of disruption yeah. that couples can recover or repair from. Uh, but the reality is that in the best case scenario, partners can help each other plan, prioritize, or evaluate. And mm-hmm. someone in a partner without ADHD can give the partner with ADHD feedback that says, Hey, Something may be off base here, or I found out some new information about essential oils that they don't do what you think they're doing. And that is a tough place because in this case, Crispy mm-hmm. uh, was relying on them, yeah. you know, as an identity. That was like his main, and, yeah, and his it's, main resource. Look, it's not to say that in some ways those essential oils may have been helping because of the structure and the routine of them and the calming and yeah. the nature, but... Him believing that they're going to fix his ADD or it takes it all away is the part that becomes problematic. Yeah. And so when he takes it to that extreme, because certainly I use essential oils for calming and centering, but they're one of many, many tools I have. They aren't a uh, be-all, end-all, you know, snake oil that's going to fix something. Um, and you don't look at them as like curing your ADHD sure, either, which sure. I think it's going, Crispy kind of was. Right. He was certainly hoping to. Okay? Yeah. Which brings us, you know, toward that medication piece. But to end the essential oils kind of uh, relationship aspect, when someone's giving you feedback on something that is hard to hear, one of the things I work at doing, I'm probably not great at it yet as I work on it, you know, for actually I've been working on it for quite some time. It's <laughs> just to say, okay. Give me 24 hours to think about that. Let me just think about what you've told me. Let me go away and evaluate. Because what happens is you can get 
reactive, defensive. How mm-hmm. dare you take this away from me? You're wrong. Yeah. Um, but the reality is when we have these underactive evaluations that go on, I also call them kind of kindergarten, elementary misses sometimes. Like mm-hmm. I'll miss perspectives on certain things. Or my wife, my dear wife, Edie, will say, did you look at X, Y, or Z on that? I'm like, God, it didn't even cross my mind. Yeah. Oh, my God, I totally missed that. And if I'm resourced and feeling good and I've meditated that day and those kind of things, I can be okay in being relatively even-keeled in yeah. my response. But it's important to give each other feedback because mm-hmm. vice versa, someone with ADHD may feel like their partner is using ADHD too much against them or mm-hmm. constantly hypervigilant that something's going to go wrong. And, and so the partner also has to manage their angst and their mm-hmm. sense of nervousness. And letting the person with ADHD take the time that they need to go through that yes. processing of what just yes. changed. Yes. Right. Because I, I can already see in myself, like if, if my, if a partner came to me and said, Hey, I just need 24 hours to think on this because my world just shifted. I'd be like, why? <laughs> like, you know, like, just like, that's it. This right. is logical. Why are you right. not blah, right. blah, blah, right? Um, and so having that communication of being the person with ADHD and being like, look, this is what I need. This is how I can feel, you know, the most loved or the most supported right. or cared for. That is something that your partner can help in in doing well, right because your partner can recognize that that's a strategy for you yeah. and stop and give you some time and, and my wife does that with me uh well and just gives me time to think about things and you know one of the things she does applaud me on is that i am able to come back to center or come back to conversations that have been difficult and i've learned how to do that because there's a there's a lot of learning there's a yeah. lot of love there's a lot of care in there in this in your long-term intimate relationships uh, but it's, you know, can be complicated. But, yeah. you know, the piece I was saying is it's also important for the person with ADHD to have a voice to say, hey, your this your anxiety or worry is coming across too much for me today. It's mm-hmm. just really and someone without ADHD does have to work on their sense of centering and, and not uh, allowing the person with ADHD to kind of do it their way sometimes yeah. or in ways that work for them. So, again, it's a, it, here comes the communication piece, right? The dialogue <laughs> that's got to go back and forth and clarification. Yeah, those those things are super important, super yeah. important. So let's go back to something we were talking about earlier and that Crispy uh, thinking that he was fixing his ADHD or, or something mm-hmm. of that sort. Um, actually, in, I believe, episode one, Crispy even mentioned that he doesn't have ADHD. Right. That he... That he be- you know, believes, thinks, whatever, um, that it's just non-existent, even though he doesn't have it, blah, 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 right? Um, But then all these symptoms are coming up. Bernard suggests, like, oh, maybe your ADHD is getting in the way because everybody can see it. (laughs) And, and, you know, and so that can be a big world shift also. But um, that kind of gives us a an idea of, how ADHD progresses throughout the years, right? It's not just something that is in your childhood. Mm-hmm. It's not something you grow out of. It's something yep. that's developmental. It's something that's progressive. Yes. And it changes throughout your life. Right. Um, so that being said, I know we've talked about this a little bit. Um, how, with that changing, obviously you have to change with it. Um, 
does that really just come into customizing strategies, personalizing things yes. as you're going throughout your life? Absolutely. And and looking at what are the developmental responsibilities, meaning what do I have to do at 20 now that I'm married and I've got kids or I've got mortgages? These are, And so you, you develop resources based on the needs or the responsibilities mm-hmm. you have around you. Um, you know, so yes, it is developmental. It looks different at different ages. Yeah. Uh, and it does change throughout your life. But the resourcing piece, uh, you'll add on to your resources on things that are helpful to you. Uh, and you look at what your life course, again, is requiring at that moment and really look at strategies in those areas. Is that pretty subjective to a to certain individuals? Or is there some sort of consistency of like, oh, when you're young, ADHD will kind of have these characteristics when you're in your maturing teens, 20s, maybe even 30s stages, it might look like this. And then when you're 60, it's a completely different thing. Well, is, is there some kind of yeah, there are, there are like Yeah, there are patterns that come along because, again, through childhood and adolescence, um, you do have where the world around you is mostly being ordered, meaning mm. there's structure and routine that's being give, given to you or set up for you. Through adolescence into young adulthood, there's a higher degree of responsibility to take on your life or develop strategies for doing things at college and things I need to do to mature in my overall life course. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you get married and have kids, you've got this whole other layer of support that's needed because the degree of responsibility of children and careers and keeping up with things becomes that much more challenging. And then, like, I'm 60 uh, at this point in my life, and... uh, uh, you know, my kids have uh, are out of the house and successful. As uh, it's <laughs> wonderful to be able to have that. It's not always the simplest process, but um, you know. So now I've got a different responsibility for kind of how I order my life and take care of myself as I age. Yeah. Uh, in different areas, and you know, we're doing a lot of research on aging, which we'll talk about later in this season as well, and what happens with ADHD a lot of times. But yeah. You know, again, it's, yes, developmental, but, you know, we, one of the things that can help with the developmental piece and, uh, was the whole medication piece as well. Mm-hmm. With crispy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's exactly what I wanted to transition into next is, uh, obviously some people take medication for ADHD, some don't. Um, I want to play a clip real quick of crispy talking about having taken medication when he was younger. Uh, and I think this is where some of his denial stuff is kind of coming from. Um, but let's hear that real quick and and see what he was saying about it. When was the last time you had a medication evaluation for your ADHD? I, I don't need that. As a kid, I was a medicine boy. I don't want to be a medicine boyfriend. Help me understand. What do you mean by a medicine boy? I was on Ritalin by the time I was five. At 1200... Lunchtime, I had to go to the school nurse for my dose. Thus, nickname acquired, Medicine Boy. Okay, so Crispy is a medicine boy, or was a medicine boy, right? He he got this horrible nickname in school um, because he would have to go take medication every mm-hmm. day um, for his then-diagnosed ADHD. Um that kind of, I guess, stress in school, that kind of Man. like, yeah. you know, uh, 
really trauma around mm-hmm. medication right. has completely put him off yeah. against any kind yeah. of medication whatsoever, which we've talked about in in the previous season and in other um, resources that medication is a tool in your toolkit that you yep. may or may not actually use. Um, but how, I want to relate that to the development piece that we were talking about. How will medication change throughout your life? I know there's a lot of different medications out there. Um, it, when do you know to switch? Well, when, right. when do you change dosages? Well, I mean, how do you do that? Right. And there's, a, again, an ongoing support that one needs in developing a relationship with medical professionals and doctors in managing the, uh, the choice to use medication or not. Yeah. Uh, but in childhood, as you're seeing, medication can become a very uh, maybe overused tool yeah. where people are relying on that to change behavior or understanding with a child on how their ADHD represents. And unfortunately for you know children, certainly younger than adolescents or 10 or 11, 12 years old, if you're younger than that, you don't really understand as a child what necessarily is happening to you yeah or why you're doing it or yeah and so when you're given medication it has to be understood in a way that can be understood by the child so there's some really great books about there out there to help children understand certain things that are that they're needing to do to kind of help support them but in crispy's case it became a trauma it became an emotional distress syndrome yeah of history for him that to the point that as an adult he's completely rejected it Mm -hmm. was really working and attempting to rely on the ideas of essential oils um and so when confronted with or looked at as an adult uh looking at the use of medication again as a tool is critical Mm -hmm. but being able to talk with your doctor and look at what medications work because many so here's the key piece to understand medication as a tool that if uh, these medications are incredibly, stimulant medications are incredibly well researched, okay, uh, throughout the years. It's actually, mm-hmm. uh, stimulant medication is more researched. If you look at Russell Barkley's uh, research on it and understanding of it, it's more researched than any other medication mm. uh, on the market because it has, yes, an abusable tendency, right. okay, much like anything else with an anti-anxiety agent or a pain medication, you do have to monitor its use, okay, that's yeah. fine. But for the ADHD spectrum, it can help you focus, concentrate, and stay motivated more effectively. Yeah. And so you've heard me talk about before that the, the nearsightedness of the mind idea, that it helps bring your mind into focus in a way that it has a difficulty doing otherwise. Yeah. And so in that case, you're using medication as a tool when you're using it that way. Think about this. If you're focusing, concentrating, motivating more effectively, many times your planning, prioritizing, and evaluating is more even keel. Mm-hmm. And so the strategies you're developing during that period of time can be much more effective yeah. and developed. And I have certainly seen uh, aspects of adults who develop strategies effectively enough that they're using throughout their life um, they choose to, you know, stop using medication or using less of it, but all that is in conversation with their doctor, but mm-hmm. it helps you to dial in your strategies more effectively throughout your life. Yeah. Um, you know, I, for one, I think many people know my history around medication and I still take a low, uh, um, uh, milligram dosage of a, a stimulant medication mm-hmm. in relationship with my psychiatrist 
It helps to stabilize my neurology. I barely feel it, quote unquote, come on in the morning. Yeah. Um, but I know that it's working in helping me stabilize my thinking as I go throughout my day and evaluate the systems that I have set up around me. Yeah. Um, and one other thing I want to note here about medication as a tendency or a pattern uh, that's on my mind is that a lot of time people will believe that medication is not working because they don't feel it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my theory on that is that if medication is helping to make the executive functioning of the mind more autonomic or automatic, mm-hmm. okay, and even keel, someone who doesn't have ADHD doesn't have to think about thinking, doesn't have to think about <laughs> planning, they just do it. Yeah. If you get your executive functioning more even keel and dialed in uh, in the use of medications, many times it can feel like it's automatic. Yeah. And so in that automaticity or that sense of that it's just happening to me, many people say, well, I don't feel the medication. Yeah, or I don't need working. it anymore. Right. But <laughs> the fact is you're not evaluating yeah. the automatic nature of your executive function, but many right. people with attention issues then either go off their medications or don't talk to their doctor about that concept. And what happens is it becomes destabilized again mm-hmm. and it can become chaotic. It's like essentially don't fix something that isn't broken, right? You, yes. You fixed it. It's working it's now. It's working and it's effective, but yeah. you do have to monitor it. Yeah. And this is, is not an end-all be-all because the uniqueness of using medication or not using medication is a conversation with your medical doctor. Uh, I've seen and heard a lot about medications, but everyone has to work best with what works for them yeah because there's lots of effects side effects that you have to manage and monitor throughout the use of that yeah well i hope that that answered everybody's questions but if you would like to dive into this information more there are tons of resources on james's website jamesochoa.com and a lot of those resources he talks about this exact kind of topic so thank you all for listening and i hope to see you next week The Complex is produced and directed by Jules Ochoa and co-written by Jules Ochoa and Robin Shakian. Amanda was played by Marina Deo Pedraza. Ramon Berkowitz, a.k.a. Genius Boy, was played by Noel Gowan. Jessica was played by Robin Grace Soto. Bernard was played by Tom Doyle. Christy was played by Joan Brickley. Jade was played by Gus Dexheimer. Jules Ochoa played Jules, and James Ochoa played himself.